Today on the World Triathlon Podcast, we get to speak with Great Britain's Johnny Brownlee. After a third successive Olympic Games podium saw him finally win the gold he craved, Johnny can now rightfully claim he has completed the Olympics, winning a medal of every colour after bronze in London and silver at Rio 2016. Gold came in the inaugural mixed relay on the 31st of July as part of the GB team alongside Georgia Taylor-Brown, Jess Learmonth and Alex Yee, who anchored that leg. So, Johnny, welcome. Thanks for coming on. How are you? Where are you? Oh, hi, uh, I'm good, thank you. I'm uh, currently in a hotel in Canary Wharf, just about to race uh, the initial Super League uh, race, which starts this weekend um, and on Sunday. So, about to do a month's worth of racing. Right. Yeah, and barely a month or almost exactly a month after the Olympics all kind of wound down. So you've not had a huge amount of time to sort of soak it up, I suppose. No, not a huge amount of time. Um, obviously, it's a very, very different kind of aftermath of the Olympics to what we're used to. You know, in London, after winning medals there, we very much had a, our medal got us into everything we ever wanted to get into, <laughs> whether that was, uh, uh, I'm not really a nightclub person, but going to nightclubs or whatever, or get into the Olympic Stadium to watch um, the other races. Your, your medal got you everywhere. You know, Rio was, was similar in a way, but you got to enjoy it. And we came home as part of the um, the team and on the plane on the way home, flew into London as all everyone else. It was absolutely amazing. In uh, in Tokyo, yeah, I came back the day after the race and um, was sat wait, waiting for my taxi um, at Heathrow Airport. So it was a very, very different uh, come down. But um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was an amazing Olympics. How... So yeah, you've you've landed kind of literally two days after you've had the gold put around your neck then. Um, fast tracked, presumably through the airport though, but still you must come out and is, is there sort of whispering voices, people pointing like, is that who it is? Well, you're, you're in the track seat as well, right? So that's a bit of a giveaway. Yeah, well, firstly, you get off uh, the plane and you know, nowadays all the COVID stuff you go through, but we, uh, we had that as easy as possible. And then um, I flew home, uh, with a, a plane full of um, still Team GB athletes. It was actually the women's football team. Uh, a couple of the kayakers were there. Uh, the BMXs were there. who did very, very well. And the first stage is trying to find your bag because no one thinks about um, personalising their Team GB bag. So about three, 400 um, Team GB bags come off come off the, the plane and there's this massive scramble for which one's mine. And, uh, um, and then once that was eventually, she sorted. Um, no one else had a bike apart from the BMXs, but obviously those bikes are very different. Mm-hmm. Um, I just got, yeah, you go through the airport, you get the families and friends have come to see uh, some people and um, they were there. And then you get a couple of autograph hunters who are hanging around trying to get as many as they could. Um, and again, like you say, people whispering each other, uh, each other come back from flights from Malta and places like that. And um, yeah, and, and then uh, the come down was my taxi was late, so I had to sit in in, uh, in Costa Coffee for an hour waiting for that. <laughs> um, so it was a kind of a, a different come down to, like I said, the, the other ones. But um, yeah. it was eventually nice to get home. And then when I did get home, I actually flew out to Spain the next day to go on holiday um, with my girlfriend for a week because um, I really felt that I wanted to take this one in and appreciate uh, this this medal, this gold medal. Um, and I didn't really do that after my last two Olympics. I was very much on to the next goal. So I thought, right, I'll come back home. I'll take a week or so to really take it all in uh, and then come up with a, a goal after that. Yeah, this, the media whirlwind as well, also limited, right? There, was, there were fewer outlets in Tokyo. So you weren't, I, I guess, kind of compelled to go from one to the next to the next. And then, because after London, it must have been just 
bonkers right and and something to a degree that you've never experienced before that was that was the first sort of your your first experience of that layer of interest was it yeah after london it was absolutely crazy um we were the last tuesday of the olympics so we had uh you know a few days to go but obviously two brothers been on the podium at home olympic games meant that pretty much we're getting up at six o'clock every morning and doing media stuff all dinners until the the next that evening so it was a constant uh full-time job yeah. <laughs> never had one of them in my life but uh, <laughs> it felt like one of them um so it was very very busy and some of it was absolutely incredible you know things that i'd i never thought i would do uh, i remember going to one function i'm meeting um prince harry um and uh, you know talking to him and him saying well done and you are about me and follow the triathlon and you know amazing things like that and then obviously you have the, your your um your sponsorship commitments you have to do for your own sponsors as well so it's very, very busy, whereas Tokyo this time, um, because the race was early in the morning, we um, did basically six hours of media uh, out of the Team GB house. And um, that involved when, when they, the UK woke up, like doing all the breakfast shows and things like that. And then um, after that, that was pretty much it. And then uh, flew home. So there wasn't really the kind of the other aftermath of the Olympics of going to other events and uh, meeting the other athletes. Um, or any of the kind of that other stuff. It was just very much you raced, we did your media, and then you came home. Yeah. Well, and you're an experienced hand at all of that now as well. But but equally, yeah, you know, had that been your first games, and you know, the the, the build up, the emotional build up was still exactly the same. Getting on that start line and everything that had been invested in it was still the same, right? But but the aftermath not being as much. I mean, you know, there's been a lot said about how people have handled that literally that olympic come down and so on so if it had been your first games you'd been waiting for an hour for your and you'd got the gold and you'd been waiting an hour for your taxi like that would be a really strange moment of self-realization would it yeah well i think um i feel sorry for people who if it is their first games and especially those that will be the first and only games because um we what you really missed out on is um you know, like I say, the whole Olympic experience. For me, it felt like a very, not a normal race, that's wrong, but closer to a normal race than an Olympic race. You know, we stayed in a, in a hotel near the course and um, uh, woke up in race morning in the hotel, had the hotel um, kind of, well, our coaches actually had to make us breakfast because it's too early for hotel breakfast. Uh, went to the race, uh, came back, um, and then you're in your hotel room and, you know, there wasn't that kind of interaction with other athletes that you normally have or, going around and going to the stadiums and seeing Olympic venues. And, you know, me being a massive sports fan, I absolutely love doing those things. And um, for me, the Olympics is about doing your race, definitely performing on that race, but then it is about everything else around it. But that was all stripped away. And uh, that was a great shame. But um, uh, to be honest with you, I think all athletes, and I speak for all athletes here, by just saying we're really pleased to be able to race and have that platform to be able to race on because there were times... Um, although if you go back two years ago, if someone told me the Olympics was going to be postponed, I would have said, what are you on about? Absolutely no way. But there were times that we thought that we might not have that chance. So um, I think we were all very pleased to be able to race on, on that big stage. Yeah, no doubt. And even though it was your third games and your third and fourth medals, when you reflect and, you know, you're flying home or whatever, and you, you think like, okay, so that's, you know, I'm there, there's PT, there's, Whitlock there's Kenny you know you're you're 
is it kind of surreal to put yourself on or has it become more normal I guess to put yourself among those names that are also such household names to be like okay so that must make me a household name as well and to know that two of those medals in that medal table were down to you it must be a great feeling. Uh, yeah I still am quite a uh, underconfident person so I don't see myself in the same kind of sphere with people like PT and them because you see all those medals that they win and you think wow and you know like oh wow that's Adam PT so uh, I still don't feel like that. Um, I, I, I didn't actually realise until, uh, I think my, it was actually Alice who said, oh, you are the most successful um, uh, Olymp uh, triathlon, uh, Olympian in triathlon, um, yeah. you know, triathlete in the Olympics, <laughs> it's a mouthful, um, ever. And I didn't actually realise that until time. I thought, oh, wow, you know, uh, that's incredible. I have just tried to go to every Olympics and perform as best I could. Uh, and I was actually just really, really pleased with my relay performance. And um, my, I thought my leg was the best I possibly could have done. And the medal kind of came after that. Um, so it wasn't really until the, they kind of got home um, after the race, after you did all the media stuff, finally got back to the hotel to have a shower, um, that I really thought, you know, wow, it's pretty incredible that I've been to three Olympics and got three medals and three different colours. Because you do realise that... Um, you know, you need a lot of luck in that, not being injured at the right time. And um, so it, just to be able to turn up to three Olympic Games uh, healthy is hard enough in itself. Um, and never mind to be able to turn up to three Olympic Games and be uh, in top shape. So I think I'm very, very proud of that. And um, yeah, I'm very, very proud of my consistency over the years. Obviously, my last few years haven't been as great as they were before, but um be able to still perform on the day was brilliant and in the, in the individual I was very very proud of that the fact that I prepared as best I could going into that race I've given everything my training had gone well I prepared for the heat um, and to come away with a, a fifth place finish I was very very happy with that because I crossed the finish line knowing that I couldn't have done anything else yeah yeah, I so we I interviewed Al uh, just after Leeds, and actually I think in the intro probably said the most decorated Olympic triathlete of all time, and now months later it's you and your bro his brother, and it, yeah. Um, but you know, and again, all the more remarkable that's four medals for you. Triathlon is not a sport like swimming that has multiple medal events, right? You know, that practically impossible to have had more. The relay edition, obviously incredibly valuable and hopefully a sort of a opening a door again onto potentially other formats coming in. And um, how was it kind of putting the individual thing to bed and then having to, to psych up and, and get ready to go again? Um, I think that was actually for me relatively easy because I was I was happy with my performance in the, in the individual. I think it's a lot harder for people who had a bad day and have to pick themselves up go again, go through the whole preparation again of, you know, this was harder because you're riding in turbos in hotel rooms or in the Olympic Village and um, you're very much around all that kind of setup. Um, so it's a lot harder for those people. I did struggle with that with all. all. I literally came home from the individual, um, put all that to one side, got my kit washed. I was like, right, right, off we go. We're ready to go again. And um, I um, had a plan of what I needed to I need to do in between the two races. And I stuck to that and ended up actually feeling really, really good before the race for the relay. Um, but first thing, it's absolutely brilliant that uh, Mixed Team Relay is in the triathlon. I think it's a great Olympic sport. And the feedback that I get 
um, from the British public has been massively positive. And I thought it was a great event to watch. It is great that, uh, you know, it's short, it's fast. It's, there's males and females on the same course. It's a team event. And um, it was a big, big positive um, for the whole Olympics and, and for triathlon, definitely. And I also think it's really good that triathletes have another medal opportunity and another chance to showcase the sport on a big stage because you know beforehand it was very much in you know London and Rio my experience you built up you did your individual race you know a lot of people go home very disappointed and that's it the Olympics is done uh, whereas now to have another chance for people to get a medal another chance for people to race well another chance for us to show our sport is massively positive yeah and hopefully more formats to come as well. You know, you're obviously about to do the Super League and that they've, they've been really mixing things up. And uh, I, I presume, you know, you were there when the relay, mixed relay was starting to come in. And did you feel, you know, I got get the sense that there was a bit of pushback against the very idea of doing a mixed relay back then, just as there was mixed feelings about the Montreal, kind of that, that elimination format being part of the series. So I guess it's one of those, is it, that, you know people do tend to push back against the new but give it some time and like where do you stand on the elimination thing being part of the series well well firstly the mixed team relay yeah i've been there from right at uh, the start and um you know initially it was something that was added on at the end and you know it's a new thing in a lot of athletes like oh i raced the day before i don't want to get up and race again you're welcome to get injured or what's this and it was kind of something that was added on to the end but we always took it seriously uh you know looking back to um in 2011 2011 i raced um the world sprint championships in lausanne and then raced the relay after that uh and we were world champions and as britain british team we always tried to become world champions in the mixed team relay we thought it was really really important and we often put our best athletes in it and gave it a really good go um so i'm really, really proud when it became the olympics and hopefully we played it became olympic sport hopefully we played a role in that um and um, the elimination format, uh, yeah, I, I, I like it. I think um, the sport needs to evolve and needs to um, uh, keep changing, you know, in a, in a way. But I also really like the idea that um, the Olympic race stays how it is, as in it's a two-hour, the best all-round endurance athlete wins, and it's a real, real grueling, hard day out. And... Um, I really like that about triathlon. I really like the fact that people watch it and go, that is really hard. And that tests the best of, of your physical ability. And a two-hour race shows that. And um, you know, with the mixed team relay, you've got the short, fast stuff that, that might suit a, a short, fast, a faster athlete, more powerful athlete. So you've got the kind of best of both worlds. Um, so yeah, I, I really like the Olympic format how it is, but I'm all for all sorts of changes. Um, the only thing with the elimination format in Montreal um, is I think it needs to be um, a lot closer together, the races. There seems a lot, a lot of big gaps between races, which um, doesn't make the best coverage. Yeah, I guess it depends how the, the setup of the course, you've got to limit that the distance to the next start line and so on as well, haven't you? But um... Oh, definitely, yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know anything about the, uh, obviously the practicalities at all, but at the end of the day, if you want it to be good on TV, big gaps don't really work. <laughs> no, no. And as far as the Olympics go, I mean, yeah, the, the Olympic distance is the Olympic distance, isn't it? That's where mm. the history is. And then adding, you know, the, the course is there, right? I mean, it, the, the production of that venue in Tokyo was unbelievable. And to only 
be able to use it for those four three races men's women's individual and mixed relay so to then be able to add another one and maybe have some athletes that would specialize in the shorter stuff you know there'd be some overlap with the relay teams maybe more athletes per country brought in um could be a whole new sort of future for the for the olympic sport couldn't it yeah, I, I think we will see more athletes and nations focusing on mixed team relay first. I think as it goes the next few years, at the moment, um, the best athletes in the individual race were probably the, the you know not far off the best athletes in the mixed team relay race as well. But over the next um, three to especially seven years, I think people will start to focus just on uh, one of them and really become the best mixed team a real athlete it possibly can be. Um, so I think that'll be a change over the next uh, period. And um, I don't know if, that, if, the, if the elimination does come in, then it allow those athletes to specialise on that as well. So they'll be very good elimination racers and uh, mixed team relay athletes. With, um, you know, I've spoken to a few athletes about their the team preparations and quite a lot of them played it down about how much they sort of worked on it, but you know, it's an opportunity to race for an Olympic gold. So yes, I get that the, the sort of, there's not like a handing over of a baton that has to be worked on. It's fundamentally like an individual races like linked together, but post individual races before the relay, you must've come together as a team and sort of thought, discussed the various kind of how the race might pan out and tactically and so on. Like how, how did that look? How, how did the, the planning go? Yeah, of, of course. We, um, we came together between the, the races and we firstly, you talk about uh, your order. And we actually started the process of talking about other nations and what's going to happen, who's going to go where in other nations. And we came to the conclusion that we've got our order and we're going to stick to that and we're going to um, race how we want it to race and not worry about this and that and who goes first and this might change that and just go no this is our order and it's actually quite interesting um in the days before when you got to check your bike in um before the race different nations were not putting their stickers on with their order on and you know because once you put your uh, a scott bike on with a b on you know i'm going second and um the other nations were trying to be complicated about that and changing the order and we very quickly decided we're going to put our order in and it's going to be what it is. And we're sticking to it and we're cracking on. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that was actually quite strong because it took all that kind of worry away, away from it all. And we just decided we're going to race. How are we going to do it? You know, Jess, I believe, is one of, if not the best first leg athlete in the world. And she would set us up and we'd go from there. And um, that's what happened. You know, obviously we practiced... Uh, the transitions beforehand and made sure we knew exactly like the back of our hand, the course and uh, the changeovers and how all that was going to work and um, got that nailed and uh, the best we possibly could. But again, we didn't overcomplicate it. We like to keep it simple. We knew our order. We knew we had a really strong team and we had a simple kind of philosophy that whatever happens, um, we're not going to blame anyone. You know, all you, go out, all you can do is go out there and race well. Um, and if that's good or bad, then no one's going to point a finger. We'll come together, we'll win or lose together, and that'll be it. And um, that was actually quite strong. And, you know, in the end, um, it was probably the most clinical relay performance there's ever has been and ever will be. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't think it can be more clinical than that, in that everyone's transitions were perfect um, and everything like that worked really well. And I don't know if that was 
practice our mindset or a bit of luck or all, all of the three. Um, but in the end, uh, we we did uh, a great race, and that's that's what we needed to do. Satisfaction that you were all able to do what you knew you could, and then just absolute relief that it all came together. I guess. Yeah, definitely. Well, we knew we had a very very strong team, but there's always that. You know, what happens if this happens and it's only short and fast? What happens if, you know, Jess doesn't get the great start on the swim and then we're on the back foot? You know, what, you know, yeah. but in the end, it formed Jess's leg, it went absolutely brilliant. And then we kind of, um, I think she, to honest, she set us up really well, which meant that once you're going to cut the ball rolling, it's easy to keep it rolling. Mm. Um, but and, you know, Jonas, and then, Jonas really like flew through that transition. It, it, that was, there was definitely like a few key moments, obviously, and you, not letting Jonas get away first of all through that swim and, and Kevin and Kevin McDowell and so on as well. And then obviously pulling away on the run, like absolutely decisive setting up Georgia to be able to maintain that lead. And then I don't know with Alex, it was the, you know, when Vincent flew past him at the bell on the bike and he was just able to then get back onto that back wheel was obviously pivotal. Mm. And, and then the slickness of his final transition, like, was your heart slightly in your mouth kind of then watching it? And, you know, it did feel like perhaps that last transition was going to kind of dictate the race. Uh, yeah, my heart was definitely in my, in my mouth. But at the same time, I knew that Alex was going to be okay because I knew that one, he was in incredible run shape. And secondly, Vince had put a big, big effort in um, on the bike and the source from the bike already to get up there. Hmm. So for him to be able to run, uh, best Alex off that would be really, really impressive. So I knew he probably didn't quite have that in him because um, he'd already caught up 20 seconds. So to be able to then run again against him would be really, really impressive. So I knew we'd be all right. I knew that we had to basically get um, Alex onto the um, onto the, the swim and the bike ahead of Vince. And then that would, uh, then after that, we should be okay. And before the race, there was a lot of discussion about. Um... You know, Jake Burtwistle, lots of people fancy him to have like the strongest final leg and, and you know, Jess being like, you know, a great person to set off or, or Katie's affair is, you know, would be in most people's kind of dream teams. And it felt like Vance on maybe also as, a, as, a, as an anchor for you to have been able to put together, like you, you put together the fastest leg by, by a good few seconds. Um, you know, that must have been incredibly satisfying you know something of a I mean not really a dark horse it's something you've done a lot before as well you know in pre, whether it's Edmonton 2018 or 19 or you know you've got form there but would you know did you feel like a bit of a kind of an underdog despite your quite clear credentials yeah if I'm honest I, I, I did feel an underdog going to relay I hadn't really done much specific training for it in the um the kind of focus for me was a real good um, individual race. And then the, my fitness would tie through to the mixed team relay. Um, and I, uh, I've had very good relays in the past in second and fourth. And, um, um, but I didn't expect to do that good. Um, I felt absolutely brilliant when I was racing and I was running, I thought, wow, I kind of wish this was carrying on for 10 K. I felt absolutely amazing. Um, and then, um, uh, I, I remember I saw we finished the race and then I went to one of the officials and got a results sheet and looked at it and was like, wow, that's even better than I thought again. Um, I'll, I'll take that. And at that point, I started to think, oh, you know, Paris is only three years away. You never know. Um, so, 
Yeah, no, I, I, if I'm honest, I didn't expect you that good. I didn't expect to have that kind of pace. Um, um, and, you know, it, being an athlete and uh, wanting more, my, you know, like I said, my initial reaction was, oh, what about Paris in three years? And my second reaction was, could I race better in the, in the individual race, you know, a few days before? So I felt that good in something that shouldn't suit me. Then, uh, you know, maybe I didn't have the best performance as I could have done a few days before. So is that afterglow of that leg still burning and sort of Paris, you know, has there been a point yet where you've sketched out a bit of a roadmap towards Paris? Uh, I wouldn't say I've sketched out a roadmap, definitely not. I um, basically going into Tokyo, I was pretty convinced, I would have said 99% sure that that would be my last Olympics. And I genuinely mean that. I, um, I think I needed that. I think one, because of preparation, the preparation in Tokyo involved a lot of uh, indoor heat training that I don't necessarily enjoy, um, and a lot of hard hours getting ready for the heat. Um, and the race itself, I knew it was going to be very hard, and going into relay, knowing that uh, that was my last 2K in Olympics, I would like, give it absolutely everything. So I kind of needed that. Mm. Uh, but then afterwards, I thought, oh, you know, maybe there's more left. And um, But my plan is basically to next year do some racing um a different racing without the kind of the constraints of a normal olympic period of you've got to race here for points you've got to do this you've got to try out this course um do racing where i um you know, can do a bit of long distance racing i can do a bit of super league racing i can do a bit a few a couple one or two world series um you know if they if they fall in the right place in calendar and at the same time, um, you know, after going to Sardinia, I, you know, I missed out a lot of time. I haven't done a lot of those amazing World Cups that I want to go and do. Um, so just a bit of those racing where it's, like I said, it's, I'm not restrained by what I've got to do to go to Olympics. I can go and go, right, Sardinia looks like a brilliant course. Let's go and do that. Mm. Or oh, I really like the Madrid course. Let's go and do that one. Um, and actually race to get back for the real enjoyment of racing without that kind of constraint over you. That was something that Mario Mola was obviously doing in the build-up to his games as well, wasn't it? Like he he was kind of cherry picking a bit where where he was wanting to go. And your preparations for this games, like you know, as soon as Leeds had finished, it was obvious that Alistair wasn't going to be sort of part of that. How how much did that change your Olympic build-up, your travel to do that for the first time without him? Did it help in some ways, hinder in some ways? or It, it was definitely different. Um, my Olympics uh, preparation was different in many different ways. Obviously, yeah, mm. the big one, COVID, made things very, very diff difficult. Uh, I would normally go to altitude, um, to Samaritz for four or five weeks before, uh, and then uh, come to sea level for two weeks and race Olympics. And that's what I've done the last two times. Um, this time I didn't do that. And... Um, uh, well, firstly, it was a kind of the COVID complications. That was all very complicated. Um, and then secondly, uh, was the fact I really wanted to make sure I got the heat preparation uh, right. So I spent a lot of time in heat chambers at home in my own house. I convert my conservatory into a heat chamber. Uh, heat chambers at Leeds Beckett University and a lot of hot water baths kind of stuff. Get ready for that. Uh, and I thought I could do that better at home. And I wanted to really make sure that I got that done really well at home. Um, and I, I, get, I think I, I probably did miss Alistair. Um, no, I did, definitely did miss Alistair. He's a person who just ups those sessions by one or two percent. And um, you know, every session going into um, Olympics with him was just squeezed a little bit tighter. You know, you run a, a second or so faster here and swim a second or so faster here um, because he's there. So 
I think I probably did miss that. Uh, and but I still arrived at the start line in the best possible shape I could have been. Um, but more than, more than anything, I missed Alice in the race. Um, if we had someone really driving that uh, front pack and someone who's prepared to take those turns that no one else wants to take, um, then that front pack might have stayed away and it could have been a very different race. But it's all if, but maybe, and Alistair wasn't there. Yeah, I, Christian said in his interview, you know, that, that kind of very much did dictate the, to, the type of the race to, to know that there wasn't going to be like a super fast swim bike going on and that, you know, it, it was almost inevitable that at some point he would bridge up and then it would come down to the run and lo and behold. So, yeah, it's it's kind of, in, it's, it's a remarkable situation, isn't it? That one person can totally change how a race would pan out like that. Yeah, Alice definitely can. Um, I think because it changes everyone else's attitude, not only is he... Uh, adding his watts and his power he's also adding increasing the watts of people around him because they generally believe we can stay away and you know the culture has kind of changed over the last year or so of the front the swim we don't get as big gap as normal apart from Edmonton um, and then um, we don't quite um, have the belief that a front pack can stay away and that'll change but at the moment that is the case and he would have loved the national uh rivalry of the relay as well no doubt like <laughs> part of you sort of racing going ah oh, i would have loved this and part of you going ha, i've got the gold here <laughs> bad <Yeah>. luck <laughs> yeah no part of me yeah in the, in the individual i would have really liked him there to really help him through the bike but um maybe he's probably not it, it, his, his old legs might might not be fast enough for the, for the relay now <laughs> <laughs> and you know, yeah. So it was an amazing individual race as well, and you were right there with uh, with Hayden and and Christian and Alex to the to the final. Well, essentially to the bell, right? And it was kind of Alex that was sort of leading the kick at that point, and just sort of that. It and it pulled away from you at that point. Um, was part of you just sort of hoping that one of them would blow up and you were still going to hang in for a medal? Was part of you going, "Oh, Alex, why did you have to do that yeah. then?" <laughs> And and also was part of you thinking, Frys, like he could be running on to gold here. Um, well, yeah, I, my tactic is pretty much to hang on as long as I possibly could, and hopefully that was long enough so I could win a medal. Um, but in the end, I just didn't have it. You know, the other guys were stronger than me and held on, held that pace for longer. And um, you know, to see Alex come through makes me incredibly proud. You know, for a lot of people, I keep going asked in uh, the interview, especially. British media interviews, you know, was it a shock? I'm like, Absolutely not, you know. I've seen this guy come through for years and um, um, he deserves it. He trains it unbelievably hard. He's an unbelievable talent. And um, from what I've seen in the last few years, it's only a matter of time before he delivered on, on the on the uh, big stage. And um, you, when they pulled away, I, um, I, I wasn't concentrating on any other race apart from mine. You know, you, you believe at that point, um, or oh, someone might blow up, or you, you can catch them, or you can hold on. Um, so I was very much focused on that and the next water station or the next bit of ice. And um, uh, I didn't really know what was happening until uh, uh, the last turnaround, and I saw Christian had a little bit of gap on Alex. Uh, but again, I didn't really register at all because um, I was concentrating on myself. For Alex, like another thing, just to not be overawed by his first games as a young you know traditionally your triathlon sort of contenders I guess are sort of you know late 20s and and probably you know had a couple of games under their belts um 
having said that, he did look kind of overcome by the moment after the relay as well of just like wow is this is this actually just happened <laughs> you know did he did it did, did it did you get the impression that he'd kind of taken it all in his stride or there were moments where he was a bit like christ like you know this is a bit much <laughs> uh, no, no no i think he took it on his stride um i don't think it was too much of a shock for him um i think you know leeds probably helped in that in that you know leeds being a big race a home race and him doing so well in there taught him that um, yeah, him doing well in Olympics, uh, it wasn't going to be a shock. Um, he's earned that right and he earned the right to perform well and that's what he did. So, yeah, from what I saw, he completely took it on stride and enjoyed the whole the whole uh, process and the aftermath and, and so he should. And both of you then part of what was a record equaling GB Hall. Like, interested to know about the Team GB setup and you know, there was, they, they took over a school, didn't they? Like GB as a whole, they, there was a, a local school and there was a restaurant put in there and training facilities and so on. Was that, were you part of that as well? Or the fact that, and were there athletes staying there or were you staying in your hotel and kind of didn't really cross over too much into that? No, so the team GB setup, I believe is one of the best, well, it, the best setup out there. And simply um, they took over a school, which was on pretty much the, the final turn um, before you go along the seafront for the triathlon course. And um, in the school there, there was a swimming pool, um, 25 meter, really nice pool. There was gym facilities um, and all the places, the medical facilities and the place where you, you do all your media interviews afterwards. And, so, and um, firstly, they allowed us to, to stay in a hotel, which is not all nations are allowed to do that. A lot of nations have to stay in the village and that leads to its own complications because you end up spending a lot of time forwards and backwards to the triathlon venue. But we could stay in the village, we could stay in the hotel, we could then get the food that we wanted there, we could be in our own kind of safe environment and then swim in the school around the corner um, whenever we wanted. Um, so we had the, I believe, the best setup we possibly could have had under COVID situations. A lot of our cycling was done um, indoors on, on turbo trainers because it, it, well, it had to be, um, and we could only run at designated venues just like everyone else. Um, so it was a bit more inconvenient like that. Um, but as a whole, I think we, we could definitely couldn't complain. It was the best setup we could hope for. Was it a deliberate, like, you know, while the, the bike fan was going on, for example, uh, the, the GB athletes tend, you know, you, you guys were kind of running more up and down the side of the track, you know, kind of keeping a bit of a part. Was that, was that a sort of deliberate, not ploy, but, you know, just part of the thing of staying out of what other people were doing and, and doing your own thing? Uh, no, that was more for uh, practical reasons because the other athletes could run around the village because um, it was about a 4K loop around the village, whereas we actually couldn't run um out, outside because um we had to go to this venue that you can only go at certain times um and um so we chose to cycle indoors um because we could do that and then the options were to run on a treadmill or run at the bike recce and um we chose to run at the bike recce because it allowed us to, to, yeah, to actually be able to run outside rather than on a treadmill so that was more kind of practical reasons um because like I say, we didn't have the option of running around the big village. The hotel wasn't big enough. <laughs> like the investment that they make into it and the planning is obviously impeccable. Uh, but also that, that that it's done in a way that is immediately fed into results. Like I remember 
couple of World Cups ago, the England team, you know, they were taking huge entourages and chefs and da -da -da to, to these tournaments and doing really badly. And it was like, oh, they're pampered. Whereas, you know, the proof was was out there and it is in the medals for what what was able to be done in Tokyo. Like what were the what were the kind of specific things that you felt added that, you know, maybe you were like, oh, actually, that's just that has been really well thought out and that's going to massively help us. And, and who were the sort of masterminds behind it? Well, to be honest with you, I think, um, well, there's, there's two sides. The preparation when we got out there, I think going to Miyazaki on a training camp beforehand was a was an advantage, but the Norwegians had that as well. You know, we could go there and train without any real restrictions for uh, or pretty much two weeks before the Olympics. So you'd had to get over the time zone. You could get used to the heat, although it actually rained quite a lot there. Um, but that was... Uh, pretty wet. Yeah, that was in this COVID situation to be able to fly out to Japan and get your body clock sorted, get used to the food, um, was a big, big advantage. I think that was that was the main thing. But to answer you, I think a lot of, I believe, a lot of, you know, most of the hard work is done before you get there. Um, so um, now to see the two girls, Jess and Georgia, come, come back from their injuries, you know, um, very, very, very few athletes would have medaled if they've had Georgia's injury beforehand. So... I think a lot of praise needs to go to um, Ian Mitchell, who's the run coach of myself, uh, Jess and Georgia, for uh, for especially getting those two two girls back um, and in good shape, and then also um, for getting me over my kind of not so great years and uh, getting my older body on the Olympic start line in good shape. So um, I think a lot of credit has to go to him for his real hard work. You know, you were you were among the the rest of the GB athletes quite a lot, were you? Whilst in that in that facility uh, and being exposed to them. I mean, not for the first time, it, you know, this isn't your, your first rodeo, but, uh, you know, quite inspiring as well. Uh, and for good for people like Alex to, to see that. Yeah, well, well, we were actually quite sheltered, obviously, away from, because we, uh, I don't know enough, because we were in a hotel, we were actually classed by uh, Team GB, obviously, as a bit of a potential risk, because we weren't in the village, so we were technically mixing with the general public, although the hotel was very much empty. So, um, but anyway, we didn't really want, they didn't want us to come across um, the other athletes too much, you know, fair enough. So we didn't actually uh, come across them, but you do, what Team GB did was made you feel very, very part of the team. You know, that goes from, that goes from being selected to getting the kit, uh, kicking out. And then, you know, that should massively inspire Alex, George and, and Jess. And then, um, um, and then going out and then being around all the Olympics, you know, from my hotel room, you could see the, the beach volleyball stadiums and all that. And the actual triathlon course with Olympic rings on. So I think that helped inspire everyone. Yeah. And so, like you said, uh, so post games, apart from, you know, you were able to, you were able to get away, had a bit of a holiday. Did the, Was it sort of back family medals? Let's have a look. Well, I actually uh, well, flew back home um, very, very late. Then woke up the next morning. I actually went for a swim because I wanted to get up and do some exercise. Um, and then I did a few TV shows on Zoom, which is now obviously the new normal. Um, that was really, really cool. And then throughout Spain and then came back and then celebrated a bit with my family. It was really, really nice. And um, it, yeah, it enjoyed that. My parents get very, very emotional about it all. Obviously, they get very, very proud. And um and then it was very much kind of back to training again to prepare for Super League. And um, I'll plan on doing a Super League racing, a month of Super League racing, then maybe a bit of a longer race. 
Um, and then I'll end my season and kind of take it all in. And uh, again, I keep saying I'm going to really um, enjoy this one again and enjoy the season because as you get older, you realise that it doesn't last forever. And you're, you have a th- another brother, Ed, right, who, you know, how is he feeling? Is, is it's like, oh, God, another gold in the family? Like, yeah. uh, well, I actually, um, Ed just says, Ed won't show any emotions, but he is very proud. But he's actually a vet. I, uh, I went to see him yesterday um, to get my right. two dogs um, vaccinated, and he refused to give me a family discount. Uh, <laughs> um, so the receptionist very kindly gave me her family discount. Um, so he was very, you know, he's brilliant, Ed. He's, um, told you he wanted me to come home and hurry up and get home and go to football with him, go and watch Leeds United. So, um, that's all he was bothered about. So, I've actually been once to to watch Leeds with him. We were in the in the cop in the main stand, and uh, yeah, it was absolutely brilliant. So, he's a massive sports fan, he's very, very proud, but he uh, he doesn't like showing it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess it must be hard. Like if people talk the Brownlee brothers all the time, and it's but it's only focusing on on you two. That must be quite a strange sort of. <laughs> yeah, I think it is. But uh, he went to the same schools as us. He um, started doing sport, but he wasn't. He didn't really enjoy it. And his way of dealing with the kind of the pressure was just not to try too hard and not to be bothered about uh, running or swimming. Um, and he's gone off and done his own his own thing, and I think that's absolutely amazing. And uh, he's very very successful. Uh, Everyone actually loves him um, that he works with. So he's absolutely brilliant. As a Norwich fan, I feel like Norwich and Leeds <laughs> sort of fates have been quite intertwined over the last few years. Like well, we keep, steal stealing our, the... keep stealing our, our players. We're used to. We definitely steal your players. And then, you know, you just, I mean, smashed it last season. So, uh, yeah, it, you obviously get to go a fair bit, do you? Uh, not as much uh, as I'd like to, because now... Um, we're back to normality of all Saturday afternoon games and um, I'm training most of the time. The last one I went to was actually in the, um, I don't know what it's called now, but the cup um, game against crew. Um, so Carabao. the Carabao yeah. nowadays. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So um, I went to the yeah, Leeds versus crew and that was amazing. And I watched them on TV as much as I can. Um, I know a couple of players a little bit, Um Oh, yeah. They did a lot of their fitness testing um, in the at Leeds back at university where we train. And um, actually, before Tokyo, I was um, doing my last heat chamber session in one of the labs, and they were doing one of their ses- one of their um, fitness tests around the corner. And um, a couple of them, Luke Halen, Patrick Bamford, and Stuart Dallas, all came in and were watching and just thinking, "What are you doing?" Um, so yeah, that, that that inspired me to get through my last heat session. So. Uh, yeah, and what I really like about this team is I really like how, um, it, well, firstly, they seem very nice people, and secondly, um, how fitness has been so important in this Leeds team, and I like to see um, the emphasis being on the fitness and football. Yeah. Maybe you could do an equivalent of that. I saw that, Le- was it Leeds Rhinos? You did you and Al did that video with a while ago. That's <laughs> right, yeah. They're impressive athletes as well, really impressive. Yeah, I bet. If anyone hasn't seen it, that's well worth a, a look. Pick, pick that out on YouTube. It's a good one. Um, great, and, and you know, are are all you know based up in Leeds? But Gordon and Mark and so on are they big Leeds fans as well? Is that kind of something that you all? Uh, well, share? Gordon's a Leeds fan. Uh, Mark uh, Bucko is a change between Huddersfield and Liverpool. Um, but yeah, they're all uh, yeah. Gordon's that loves Leeds because he's obviously from Leeds, and um, well, it's good to support Leeds at the moment. Yeah, not off. Let's um, hope Norwich can 
follow a similar route. Well, the, hopefully not. We're, we're relying on Norwich to occupy one of the places <laughs> to go down. <laughs> well, best of luck. Uh, it's Sunday, right? Sunday 5th for the first of the four Super Leagues of September. Yeah, so first of four, this one's in London. And the following Sunday is in Munich. And the following Saturday is Jersey. And the one after that is in Malibu. And all watchable on Triathlon Live. Can you give us a quick uh, quick run through of the, the format for this first one, the London one? It's uh, it's the mix-up, right? Or Yeah, so this one um, is, in a simple terms, it's, uh, well, a short triathlon of 300-metre swim, 4K bike, and 1,800-metre run. And the first time round is swim, bike, run, record your time. The next time round is run, bike, swim, record your time, um, and then two minutes rest, and then you go off on the last one, off whatever time you've done in the, the previous two. So if you're a winner, you go first. If you're 10 seconds behind, you go 10 seconds behind, um, and you do a bike, swim, run. Easy to keep on top of then. Yeah. <laughs> Once you actually get going, it's a lot more, it's a lot simpler than it sounds. You're right. Okay. And, uh, and you're a cheater now. Is this, what is the deal with this team format? Is it as tenuous as it looks or is there something to it? Like, yeah. who, are the, who are your fellow cheaters? So um, as a way of kind of adding a new element in Super League, there's the, the team format. So in this, you, um, we're all split into teams. There's five different ones of four people, four men and four women. Um, and you get points at different stages in the race. Um, the first swim, the first bike, the first run, and then the overall of that day. And they add up to the end of the series, and there's a, a big, big prize purse for that. Um, and in my team is Aaron Royal um, and Alessandro Fabian. Uh, and um, is it Sagir Shev? Um, yeah. So we've got a reasonably strong team. And then... Uh, yeah, four girls as well. Uh, Sophie Caldwell is one of them. Um, so we've got a strong team. And we, we, we should be good. I, I, I don't know exactly how um, much the team um, format is going to impact the racing, but looking forward to it. I think some people will for, will go for the team points because, you know, um, they can target that early in the day and, and then some will race um, for their overall. So I think it'd be, it'd be exciting. There's always something happening, which is what you want. Yeah, and great for you to get back into the competitive it was it was obviously as i saw you post it was your first uh there was it was the the first grand final without a brownlee for well since 2006 right Everything. yeah i didn't realize that until i was out on a run and i thought wait when's the last time uh i haven't been at one and well um it would have been well, without a brownlee uh alistair won in 2006 and then alistair oh. was there in 2005 in gamagoy so it's 2004 would have been right. the last time at grand final uh, the, well, all world champs, as it used to be called, without one of us being there. So, um, yeah. And then will this be, so after the month, so it finishes in Malibu, not a bad place to sort of wrap up a month, but then for the tail end of the, to the, year, of the year, what's what's on the schedule? And then, you know, back into, will it be starting the next year with sort of doing this cherry picking slightly of races, do you think? Yeah, well, a month of uh, Super League racing, and then I think I'm going to try and do a long distance race uh, in that period in October time. I don't entirely know where that's going to be yet. Um, I'm going to wait and see and uh, choose a course that um, that hopefully suits me um, with, a, with a good bike course and uh, test my body out and see if I'm going to be any good at it, um, firstly, and um, hopefully learn a few for next year and then uh, take that into next year. 
Great. All right, brilliant. Well, and obviously we'll hope to see you back on the series circuit as well as part of that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I'll definitely be back at some point uh, at some series. I, uh, yeah, whether that's Leeds or whatever, I'll wait and see. Yeah, brilliant. All right, well, obviously really appreciate you taking the time and the best of luck this weekend. Hope it all goes well in London, Canary Wharf for the Super League. Cheers, thank you very much. <laughs>